0: Welcome to the Chasing Presence Podcast, co-hosted by Santi and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. Today, we are joined by a guest, Preetam Tara. Preetam is a microdosing and sacred plant medicine mentor, exploring the intersections of whole human health, yogic science, and the intentional use of sacred psychedelic medicines for healing, growth, and transformation. She is a certified primal health coach, Ayurvedic yoga specialist, Kundalini yoga, and meditation teacher, and the founder of Awaken to Your Wholeness, a holistic psychedelic healing and integration program. After nearly 15 years of numbing her treatment-resistant depression with daily drinking, binge eating, and exercise obsession, she transformed her mindset, rewired her behavior patterns, biohacking her diet and lifestyle, and went from surviving to thriving. Now she guides others to create the most fulfilling life they desire using scientifically and spiritually-backed holistic methods. Preetom, super excited to have you today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Excited to drop in with y'all.
0: Definitely. I think the first thing I'd like to talk about is this fifteen-year journey with depression that you went through. Can you kind of talk us through some of that? Maybe how you ended up in that space and what that evolution looked like.
1: Yeah. So it's like how how we end up where we are. Um, you know, I kind of got started experimenting with substance when I was a teenager. So really got into smoking weed and you know just whatever i could get my hands on as a creative teenager and that was you know just um i think a part of it was you know aside from the the trauma of just growing up and like getting bullied and not feeling like you belong and being an introvert in a highly extroverted world um i was just you know finding finding ways to deal with with the world that i lived in and When I, um, you know, when I was about 20, I found alcohol, and alcohol became my drug of choice at that time, and, um, you know, had gotten into a couple of unhealthy relationships and just really got stuck in these addictive cycles of using alcohol to numb out, um, food as well, was very addicted to sugar and developed um, an eating disorder that showed up as anorexia to start and then morphed into bulimia. So I was kind of in this drinking and eating and exercising and fear and shame and negative thinking. Just, you know, these really deep grooves for about 15 years. And things started to shift um, when I was, you know, 34 I was married. I had my dream job. I was, you know, crushing it in the corporate world. You know, living in the million-dollar home, and um, my my husband at the time challenged me to stop drinking for a month. And I took him up on that, and it was um, it was a big challenge. Um, but once I got into it, after a couple of weeks my like brain turned back on and this veil of depression that i was living under started to lift and you know new possibilities started to open so at that time i started meditating with all of the free time <laughs> that i had in in my day that opened up from not drinking you know i started meditating and i started really listening within and tuning within and connecting with my you know higher self like what does that person one in their life. And, you know, I came to some really hard conclusions, you know, that I wasn't in a marriage that was built on the foundation of love and joint core values. So that relationship ended and, you know, I was in a job that I thought was my dream job and also, you know, realizing that it wasn't serving me, you know, it wasn't fulfilling in the deep way that I was really seeking. So, at that point in my journey, I, you know, did what any respectable uh, 35-year-old would do. <laughs> she put her stuff in storage and quit her job and drove across the country back to uh, her parents. And they had a place up in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And I just camped out there for a little bit and started planning my next moves, which involved, um, you know, heading down to Peru and you know, on this journey, um, you know, about a year into the sobriety, my, um, you know, I got turned on to psychedelics and really went deep into the learning and just listening and like feeling into what was right for me. And ayahuasca was just like screaming to me. So I, you know, as I had this time stepping away from my old life, Um, you know, going down to Peru and, you know, spending some time down there and really starting to get into the world of sacred psychedelics. And from there, it's just been, you know, one, one just following the breadcrumbs on this path. And it's been really beautiful.
0: So you mentioned kind of communicating with your higher self. Is this something that you reflected on retroactively or were you already on a spiritual path? prior to making these big changes in your life? How did that look like in terms, from a spiritual awakening perspective?
1: Yeah, I was not a spiritual person. I considered myself an atheist, and I had always been into, cognitively, I had been into theology and philosophy more than theology. So always like interested in this idea of like self and consciousness and God and what that meant to people, because inside I didn't really experience much of that myself. So I was like, but I was seeking, I was curious. And I was, you know, gathering a lot of information, but I didn't really have my own experiences. In part, I think, because of, you know, all of the substance I was putting in me and really disconnecting me from my true self. So when I started meditating, that's when things really started to open up. And I I went really deep into meditation. When I first started, I was spending you know, an hour and a half to two hours a day meditating. So I, I really started to condition that muscle, that meditative mind, and that's when the answers started coming.
2: Yeah, I can, I can relate. It's, it's kind of crazy because I was also addicted to smoking weed and vaping and and drinking alcohol to suppress my or to repress my social anxiety. And when I started journaling and eventually stopped and started meditating, that's when I had my spiritual awakening and realized what my, my purpose on this planet was within a month after, after like doing, um, quitting all that stuff. So it's kind of crazy how there's this veil that you don't even realize that's there, but you know, kind of society just like bolsters it and says that it's okay. And then the second you try to go against the grain, it, t- it takes a little bit, but once you break through, it's just, you know, there's, there's no going back. So was it, was it when you stopped drinking, because, you know, there's this idea of like a spiritual awakening, um, or like a Kundalini awakening there, there's, there's different words for it. What did it happen right after you stopped drinking or that month after you stopped drinking or like, was there a certain moment where you were meditating and then it all kind of like came together and sense? Or was it more of a, a gradual build into, into this idea of what you needed to do?
1: Yeah, it was a gradual build um, with some more breakthrough experiences along the way. Um, so I'd say, you know, a sexual awakening was a big part of my process initially. So, um, you know, in, in sobriety, I, you know, my brain turned back on and, you know, my sex drive turned back on as well and started seeking out um Actually, not even seeking out, it just things started showing up. So, I started exploring um, sacred sexuality or conscious sex um, with a very um, special partner. And um, he had had a Kundalini awakening shortly after we had gotten together. And within the container of that relationship, I had been at a Vipassana 10 day silent retreat meditation. And in having an understanding of those energies and really sitting with them in deep meditation for, you know, we were meditating for 10 hours a day and having no stimulus, no um, distraction outside of meditating. I had a kundalini awakening in that retreat center. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's interesting, right? That's new. And, you know, that came from, you know, just exploring that kundalini energy, that, that sexual energy. And then, the, the big spiritual awakening happened when I was down in Peru for the first time. And it was the, I think it was the third ceremony in sitting with ayahuasca, um, with, with grandmother medicine, where it was like the channel was fully open and the kundalini was risen and, you know, connection with source was completely, you know, opened up. And I had found like everything that I was searching for in my life up to that moment had been answered had been it arrived it was it was satisfied and i i knew that my entire life was going to be different thereafter i actually felt like i had something to live for after that experience
0: that's awesome um, there's a lot there that i want to talk about and i think of a, a first uh, the first thing we should probably go into is what exactly is a kundalini awakening
1: Yeah. So kundalini is the, you know, it's the energy that resides at the base of the spine in between the first and second chakras. And it's the, it's a portal to boundless, um, you know, infinite creative energy. It's creativity. It's the creative force. It's it's arrows and it lives at the base of the spine and you know there are ways and practices that you can work with it to to activate the kundalini to bring it into your life in a kind of um, measured way, right? So the practice of kundalini yoga uh, is a fantastic, you know, methodology for for starting to work with this um, tantra as well. Tantra yoga, the practice of tantra, is another practice. Um, psychedelics are very effective at creating these Kundalini experiences where you know it's not measured so if you think of um, like a gas valve right if you open the gas valve a tiny bit and the gas starts to trickle out right and it's like a controlled amount of gas but if you if you turn that dial all the way open you get flooded with gas and if you have you know if you're if you're not trained and, and you're not prepared, to manage that energy, it can be extremely disruptive, especially if you are having this experience, you know, in a in a container that's not necessarily very tightly facilitated, and you don't have guides um, and, and people there to understand what's happening and to support that and, and to hold you in that. It can be um, very disruptive, uh, and it can take people. You know, months and years to actually make sense of it and, and start to be able to temper it back down and to really put their lives back together. So it's a very powerful um, and, and sacred uh, energy and sacred force. And it's not something to be really experimented with, it's something to be taken pretty seriously.
2: So, The one thing that we've been wondering for a while is, you know, part of the reason why we do this podcast is we want to help other people go through awakenings and rediscover what their purpose is to the benefit of humankind and the collective consciousness. So the one thing that we're trying to understand is generally what triggers these Kundalini awakenings. And the general consensus that, that we've gathered is that it generally comes from someone who has been through a lot of adversity or who has really connected themselves to their higher selves to, to to source through silence through through solitude and through meditation. I just want to get your take on what you think is are the factors that really lead to like a, Kundi, a kundalini awakening.
1: I think it's really complex and I don't know that there's an equation or like a recipe. I think that when we, you know, we do have struggles in our life, and we have a lot of um, things that we overcome through past traumas, uh, through uh, hardship. Um, you know, and everyone has this to varying degrees. I think the more that we have this this challenge that we go through, that leads up to you know a dark night of the soul, where we decide that. Things are going to change, right? And we're and, and a guide shows up or something shows up to like change the course of our life. When we start to have more optimism and things do start to shift, I think when we've been through so much struggle and, and so much hardship, our tenacity and our determination and our, you know, the this kind of latent energy just like it comes online and it happens really fast for people a lot of the time. And I think be, like the, the harder it is that we, the more that when things get better and the more co- contrast there is, the more that we appreciate it. And the harder that we're willing to work for it because we know how bad it is to feel bad. And then we start to get a taste of how good it feels to feel good. And we want more of the feel good stuff, right?
0: So a question I have is, how how do you differentiate between a Kundalini awakening and a spiritual awakening? Is there an overlap? Are they the same thing? Cause I know for sure I've had a spiritual awakening like that to me is 100% clear. I don't know that I've ever had a Kundalini awakening. I've done a lot of psychedelics and plant medicine. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. You, you don't need to have a Kundalini awakening to have a spiritual awakening and the kundalini awakening, you know, it sounds exciting and sexy and, and fun. And it's also, it can be, you know, extremely disruptive and challenging. So I think that everyone's experience is different, right? And, and we shouldn't go chasing experience. We should be present with the experience that we're having And it's incredible to see this mainstreaming of spirituality, right? And it's, people are having spiritual awakenings in all different shapes and forms and colors. And it's like, it feels to me, like when I just kind of like tune into the energy of this, it's like popcorn popping in a bag. Like people are just like, they're popping, right? And they, they don't know why, and there isn't like one reason or one cause that's happening it, you know, that's making it happen. Other than the energies on the planet are changing, right? And the more people that are of a like-minded higher consciousness that is part of having a spiritual awakening, the greater the collective of that higher consciousness is, which creates pressure and it creates more of this, you know, awakening happening at a much higher more global scale. And especially when you live in a, a conscious city that has a conscious community. You know, we're we're very fortunate to live in the city of Austin, which is like it's a, a magnet for people that are having spiritual awakenings because the consciousness is is a lot higher here um, than you know other other places. But you know, there's a lot of these these um centers right? They're typically based on, you know, major East Coast and major West Coast cities where there's a large enough population and a growing spiritual community that it helps speed up the collective waking up. But I'm biased, but, you know, there's something special happening here in Austin for sure.
0: Yeah. I, um, it's funny you say that because a lot of people ask me, I moved to Austin a little over two years ago during the pandemic in October of 2020. And a lot of people ask me, like, why did you move to Austin? And I'll give them like these very rational reasons. But I know within myself that it, I was just pulled to the city. And I think it was just my subconscious vibration and energy attracted me to the city. And I couldn't, and I kind of just justified it afterwards with rational reasons. But if I tell that to your common person, they're not going to they not really going to understand that, but I definitely felt a pull, just an innate pull to the city. And I had never even visited Austin before deciding to move. I just kind of knew in my heart, it's where I needed to go. And it's because it has such a strong spiritual uh, community and presence to it. So definitely, I definitely resonate with that. I do want to go into your experience with psychedelics. There's a lot here. You mentioned your first experience was with at an ayahuasca retreat. Can you explain to people listening what exactly is ayahuasca and kind of what your experience was in that retreat.
1: Yeah. So ayahuasca is a very sacred and very ancient brew that is, a, it's a medicine that is made from an ayahuasca vine and the chacruna leaf. So it is, um, indigenous, used indigenously for healing and for spiritual purposes um, in many places, um, you know, in South America and um, Colombia and Ecuador and Peru. So it is a medicine that that you drink, like a tea, and after you drink it, about 30 to... To 45 minutes into it, the um, the DMT, which is contained in the leaf that's part of the brew, starts to really, you know, in the digestive system, it kind of starts to do its magic. And then you have a an experience and no two experiences are exactly the same. And in the beginning, working with the medicine is much very, very much different than you know experiences that you have as you develop a relationship with the the spirit of the medicine.
0: So during your experience in this retreat, what were some of the insights you had, or was there any kind of profound insights uh, that you had during this experience? Can you kind of just walk through maybe some of the highlights of of that retreat?
1: Oh my goodness, yeah. I've um, you know I've sat in over a hundred. Um, ayahuasca ceremonies since that first retreat and it's there's so many layers and and so many dimensions that this medicine works with us and and on us and through us um, where we we start to you know in many ways embody the medicine and 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 live the medicine Um, but kind of going back to you know those those earlier ceremonies, um, so much healing, and that first um, week that I was down there, I would say the greatest healings really came in forgiving myself and really letting go a lot of the the shame and the regret and the sadness that I had been. Really carrying on um, carrying around in in my life, and a lot of you know just connecting with my heart for the first time and actually loving myself and you know over the the unfolding of, of those ceremonies, really seeing myself through a different lens. so um, you know I had mentioned that I had an eating disorder for 15 years, so you know, just the, the medicine doesn't just work with you when you're in the ceremony container. When you're at a retreat, say you're at a retreat for a week, the medicine's working with you the entire time that you're there. It's like one long ceremony, even though you may sit in ceremony with a shaman facilitating and drinking the medicine for, you know, eight hours. The the ceremony goes on the entire time that you're there and you know i remember just standing in front of the mirror and the the inner dialogue in my head and the way that my my inner dialogue was changing over the course of being down there and allowing me to see myself through the eyes of of god and up through the medicine and you know being one of the the Amazing things about being at a retreat is you're there with other people who are all going through their own experiences. And you're there with facilitators who have facilitated these experiences for hundreds or thousands of people. And just being able to, you know, talk about what you're experiencing in the healing and um, having that reflected back to you and being witnessed in in your healing and in your process is such a, a powerful thing. So I really you know, that, that, first, that first week of working with the medicine, I, I really changed my relationship with myself and, and the inner dialogue started to shift and really becoming so much more aware of the creator that I am of my own reality and the power that I have to create my life and my reality and however I can dream it to be. And I, I came out of that, um, you know, that, that week-long container just so empowered and so motivated and so inspired to create something different. And at the time, I, I didn't have any idea of what that was going to be. But the ideas just were pouring out. I was just journaling and writing and really exploring and, um, you know, contemplating so many different things that were alive in me. And, you know, that's that's where integration comes in, right? It's making sense of the visions that you have and these, like, the inspiration and the, you know, everything that's coming through. It's like, well, what does that mean? And how do you prioritize? And how do you, you know, actually, when, the, when you do start to come down and, and start to get back into the rhythms of, of life and you, and the real, the real world, you know, now what, right? That's, and that's when the real work starts. That's when the, the, the real work starts and it never ends. You know, when, when you're on a path of self-transformation and, and personal development and growth and spirituality, it's like, it's a lifelong ceremony. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs>
2: It sounds like, you know, ayahuasca really helped you heal your trauma and transform your mindset and completely change your inner dialogue. I guess for me, it's been a very gradual shift to changing my inner dialogue and, you know, healing my trauma, changing my mindset. I've never personally done ayahuasca. It's it's 100% on my bucket list, but I guess I, I want to talk about, you know, actually, implementing the insights that you learned from those ceremonies and from those retreats. And I was wondering, once you, you know, once you gathered all these insights and, you know, all this Kundalini energy is flowing through you and you have all this idea, all these ideas and motivation, what did you do to then implement those insights into your life in a way that really helped rewire your behavior patterns and change your inner dialogue?
1: Yeah, it was, you know, all of this is uh, a process and it takes time. It, you know, it's not that I came out of the ceremonies and all of a sudden I was a different person. I was still the same person and it took, it took really starting to bring in more ceremony into my day-to-day life. And by doing that, by these foundational practices that keep us balanced and and keep us, you know, rooted at the same time, right? So we're we're rooted in reality, in the 3D. And taking that time to, you know, start a daily practice and become, I, you know, my personal um, path with this was, really realizing what the things are that were my greatest gifts and my greatest passions. And, you know, taking the time, you know, I also, after I really started to do this healing, I I doubled down on all of it where, you know, I I didn't have a job for a, a, a traditional job for a year and a half, almost two years, where I lived at an ashram in the forest of Pennsylvania, and I did some marketing for them in exchange for room and board, and I studied yoga for a year, and I worked with some amazing healers and teachers, and um, you know just learned. I was you know in. I knew that I wanted to create a different vocation for myself, a way, a, a different way to be of service and, and to contribute. And to do that, I needed to learn new skills and not just you know take a certification on primal nutrition and fitness or take a certification on coaching or take a certification on Ayurvedic yoga practices. Like what, what is that even? But really like learn and embody those practices and change my lifestyle. And, and do it in a way that was right for me and that was sustainable. And it, um, you know, it's, and it continues, right? Continuing to to learn new things and to, to grow and evolve.
0: Yeah, I think one of the most important things you can do if you want to coach other people is actually live it yourself and learn it and embody it rather than just taking a course. Both are important. Uh, the certifications, I think, help to amplify, but you definitely want to be living it and practicing it in order to really gain the wisdom that you can impart onto others. I'm curious, did you have any resistance internally to kind of going down this new route, quitting your job, being you know unemployed in a traditional sense for two years? Was there any part of you that had self-doubt or that was questioning this kind of major change in your life?
1: No. I I always knew that if it didn't work out, then I would figure something else out. That I would be resourceful And, it. You know, everywhere I went, I always kept like seeing contingency plans pop up. Like, um, you know, I I did the a couple of ten day Vipassana retreats, and they have uh you know the people that you know, there, there's people that go and sit like I had done. Um, you know, you show up and you have accommodations and people. Clean and and cook, and then there's people that serve, and the people that serve, you know, can live there four months at a time. So I kn- that was an option, right? I could just you know serve at a vipassana center for a year or two, or I could you know serve at an ayahuasca retreat center, and you know clean clean buckets up and and make beds and cook food and you know as as I traveled more, and, and I did a bit of traveling as well, you know, to back to Peru a couple times, to Costa Rica, spent some time in India, the more places I went, the more people I met that were living unconventionally, and that were unplugged from the matrix, and that were happy and spiritual, and just finding like-minded people wherever I went. And I really you know felt in my bones like there was this global unspoken community of of seekers and people that were on a spiritual path that i could always plug into so i i had never i never had any fear around it except of course you know at times when the bank account just gets like little uncomfortably low and Yeah. And then you figure it out, like you get a job for a little bit. Um, I, you know, after I left my corporate job, you know, which was working at a botanical garden, I was running the membership and visitor services department for one of the top botanical gardens in the world. Um, You know, I was managing a team of 20 and um, it was it was great. It was great work and great people. But, you know, after I left that job and it was like, I don't think I can ever go back to the corporate world. Well, when I ran out of money after two years and started looking for jobs, that's what I did. I went back to the corporate world and I found a job that was working at a botanical garden again with the same title and similar responsibilities. And I, I was a different person and I showed up differently. I showed up differently in the way that I interacted and engaged with my coworkers and my staff, and I was much more compassionate and kind-hearted, and was a much better leader. Um, and I I stayed in that job for close to a year, but I knew it wasn't the right thing for me, so I transitioned out of that. And you know, it was around the time that COVID happened, and. You know, work part time for a technology company, um, you know, and, and work that I, I still contribute to in the psychedelic space. So, developing protocols for psychedelic therapy delivered th- through technology tool sets. So, I still, you know, have kind of one foot in the more conventional corporate world and one foot in the healing space and teaching and, you know, psychedelics and all of that. So, it's a, it's a journey, it's a process and there's no right or wrong way, but you know, it's always something that you can figure out.
2: So I'm just curious, what meth, what kinds of holistic methods do you use to guide others to create the most fulfilling life that they desire?
1: Yeah. So it starts with the really simple foundational things. So if you're any of your kind of like core nutrition, sleep, water, meditation, physical movement and exercise, it's like you start with the foundation. And, you know, if any of those things are really out of balance, then everything that you do on top of that is going to be out of balance. So it's starting there and then building on that so building on that with introducing yoga and breathwork and meditation and those more inward practices which are more you know like subtle body practices so if we think about the very bottom of the foundation being the the physical body kind of the the gross body and then the on top of that is the the subtle body with breath work and meditation and yoga and getting comfortable in regulating our nervous system through those tools. And then building on top of that, you know, sacred psychedelics and plant medicine. And a lot of times with, uh, with my clients, it's starting out with microdosing and using microdosing as a tool to, such a versatile tool, um, which we can we can get into microdosing a little bit too. But to really create that opening and start to get comfortable working with sacred medicine, you know, exploring more deeper meditative states and somatic states in the body and in the mind. And then when the time's right, with the right preparation and the right support, adding on journey doses of, of medicine, to have those more breakthrough experiences, and then doing the work to to integrate that right to to make meaning of what comes up in those spaces, and to hold a vision of what is coming, like what what they want to grow into, what they are growing into in their life, and that can involve all of the different complexities of our life with. Our relationships, our relationship with ourselves, our family, our partnerships, our work, our interests, our, you know, all, all the things. So it's complex, like we are.
0: So, with microdosing, can you, first of all, just explain exactly what microdosing is at a high level? And there are also various protocols that have been introduced in the psychedelic space um, for microdosing in terms of the frequency and, and dosages. Uh, is there a specific protocol that you follow? Do you create your own? What does that look like for you and your clients?
1: Sure. So microdosing is taking a sub perceptual is the kind of textbook definition, um, but it's taking a sub perceptual to a slightly above sub-perceptual or you can say like sub-intoxifying amount of uh, psychedelic medicine. And it's doing it following a certain schedule to get the most benefits out of it. Um, so when I start you know, working with anyone with a microdosing protocol, I have them follow a schedule that you're, I I prefer to do the fatamin schedule, which is one day on two days off. So you follow that for a couple of weeks to really have the medicine start to, um, you know, work in you. And you don't want to take the medicine every day because the body builds up a tolerance to it really quickly. So you want to give yourself you know, a day on where you're working with the medicine, a day off to really have that like afterglow effect. And some people actually feel better on the afterglow day, the second day, than they do on the day that they're working with the medicine. And then the third day is just a reset day. So it allows the, the psilocybin to kind of wash out of the brain before that you are taking another dose. And it helps you get the most out of the working with the medicine and not have to continue to increase the dose over time. So I like to teach intuitive microdosing. It's great to start with a protocol to start with a, you know, a standard, recommended dose, which is anywhere between 0.1 and 0.3 grams, if you're working with psilocybin. And we can talk about, you know, different medicines that you can work with for microdosing. But I find psilocybin to be the most, you know, versatile and accessible and um, kind of universally accepted medicine to work with when microdosing. So it's great to start out a protocol on a protocol And to start out on that standard dose, um, starting on the low end. So you want to start low and go slow, and you can start to experiment. So learning how to to work with microdosing is, it's just a, a series of experimentations. Experimenting with the dose, with the timing, with the different modalities that you are using to, to, to work with it. And it's really based on what your baseline is and where you want to go in working with the medicine. So if you are, say, working with the medicine for wanting to, like your, your top thing is having low mood, right? And you want to kind of shake out of maybe it's a low-grade depression or just not really feeling excited just feeling like stuck with things. So with that you you might want to keep it more on the subperceptual side of things, right? And you'll you'll still like receive those baseline improvements to mood very likely. And you know, if you want to start to experiment with pushing the dose a little bit higher than that, then you do start to feel it. So it, it really can amplify the sensations that you have in your body. It can amplify the, the creativity of your mind and the positivity of your thoughts. So working that in the, you know, I, I really love to teach microdosing as part of a yoga practice or a meditation practice, because it really just does help quiet the mind. It helps like create more activation in the body and allows us to really drop into those spaces. And, you know, I've experienced like so much somatic release that can happen, even by working with a very small amount of medicine, when you're intentionally moving the body and using the breath and quieting the mind in a certain way. And it's a phenomenal tool for that. Uh, And then, you know, if you're working with the medicine to enhance creativity, you might want to create, you know, kind of like a neuro hacking stack, right? So mix it with some lines main, maybe a little bit of coffee, not too much because you don't want to get jittery, you know, get some binaural beats going and like really like hacking flow. Like it's such an amazing way to hack that flow state and really get in the zone um, no matter you know what you're creating, it's been great for for me with you know my sound healing and really allowing me to connect with the instruments that I use in in a way where I, I really feel more connected with them and the subtle vibrations and and you know the beautiful healing frequencies of the instrument you can like you can feel in your bones and you start being able to have a relationship with some of the practices that you're working with in a much deeper way.
2: Yeah, so just for some people who might not know, uh, who's listening to this podcast, I I do wanna uh, talk more about like Kundalini Yoga and Ayurvedic Yoga, but can can you just describe on a high level what a somatic release is?
1: Sure, so all of our experience, in life from the day that we're born to the day that we die is experienced through our senses through our our physical body and there is a lot of research and thinking peter levine is such a a great thought leader on this about the way that trauma and the way that life that we're resisting is received by the body and processed and when we're not able to fully process trauma, and trauma can be complex and, and subtle over time, it can be tr- trauma to live in a major city and be bombarded with noise and energy and pollution and like all of the things that come through the body if we're in resistance to them and we're not able to just let them kind of work through us. So that, you know, would be on like the very low end spectrum of trauma all the way up to, you know, being abused or being in a, an abusive relationship or being in an accident where you really hurt yourself or you hurt someone else. So as we're navigating life and we're experiencing all of this, Emotional response and you know, experiencing fight and flight and freeze like we're not letting, we're not experiencing life and having it move through us. And all of that experience gets stored in our physical body, in our tissues, in our muscles, in our fascia, in all of our cells. And a lot of trauma healing. Um, you know, there's different types of trauma healing, but one type is putting your body in certain positions and causing certain states in the physical body where you can release somatically that trauma, that energy that has been stored up. So this is a, a big way that I do somatic healing, within the container of a yoga practice is like you prime the muscles and you, you strain them and then you put them in a certain position and you, you'll start shaking. So you're doing this shaking and it's, it's dispersing energy out of the body. A lot of people have somatic releases in medicine ceremonies as well. And once I learned this somatic release therapy, I started bringing it into, you know, psychedelic ceremony experiences and have really the medicine has really taught me how to to use that. So going bringing up memories and bringing up experiences and reliving them and allowing that energy that's trapped in you that's still in the body and still operating in the subconscious mind to Start to release that charge, and you can feel it. You you test it as you're doing these practices, where you're bringing up the the image or the memory, and you'll the the charge will be really, really, really strong, and you'll work with it, and then you'll rest, and then you'll bring it back up, and it actually doesn't have any charge anymore. So it's a it's a phenomenal tool to work with for healing.
0: Yeah. For myself, um, somatic releases have been the most probably transformative aspect of my spiritual journey. And almost every time I do psychedelics, I have a somatic release. It's the number one tool that I've used. I've also had it from breath work and some other practices, but it's, it's a really an amazing, amazing experience. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is integration and going a little bit deeper into that because I've found that a lot of people, they'll seek these peak states, they'll keep going to ceremonies and they'll keep using the medicines and it's almost like they tend to chase that high again without focusing enough on the integration process. Um, what are your thoughts on integration and do you think it's really important and how much emphasis do you put on that when working with people?
1: Oh my god, it's, I mean, it's critical. If you're not doing integration, then psychedelics really just become another distraction and, and you know you're constantly seeking, right? because you're looking for that next peak experience. So integration is everything and it's it's different for everyone. So some individuals will you know only sit with a medicine, you know, once a year or once every couple of years, and they feel that they're getting lessons and they're getting insights and downloads, and, you know, they're, you know, slowly kind of transforming their life with that. And then, you know, some people will, you know, sit with medicine, you know, every weekend. I don't recommend that. But, you know, even sitting, integration is different for everyone. I think the most important thing is having that intention to integrate. And what does that even mean? So it starts with making meaning and sense-making from, you know, what has come up for you and, and what the insights are. So the day or two or three following that experience, really taking time to, have a space and quiet to, to journal and to write and to really process both in the waking state and the dream state, you know, what insights you're having. And then not just doing that on your own, but it's so important to talk about those experiences with a trusted and trained guide who has traversed those spaces to get reflection and it's important not to make any big decisions or major life changes in the days immediately following any sacred medicine ceremony you know you're you're still under the the influence of other other spirits and other influences so not making any major decisions and then taking the time to really come up with visions and and plans about where you're taking your life. and then breaking it down into all those small steps on like, what can I do today? Like what is the one thing that I can start doing now? And just creating creating goals. So working with an integration specialist, a coach, you know, whether it's a life coach or a business coach or wh- whatever it is, like whatever it is, however you want to take those insights right and apply them to your life, to actually start to live a different life and to create a different life. You know, it's it's so valuable to to have help on that path. And you know, it could mean anything. It could be related to health, to, you know, meditating more, to exercising more, to creating a new business that you have always been afraid of Actually, like stepping fully into, or you know, leaving a relationship that you've been in for too long that just isn't serving you anymore, or letting go of friendships that you've outgrown, because psychedelic medicines are the most powerful tool that we have as human beings to transform, right? And literally creating these new timelines. You know, I I like to talk about timeline hopping, right? Where all of a sudden, you know, something that was never, that you never thought was possible before suddenly becomes a possibility, right? And then it's you, it's up to you then whether or not you're going to like step into that and own that and, and do the work to meet it halfway because it's not going to happen on its own. So... Yeah, I hope that answered your question.
0: The last thing I wanted to touch on a little bit before we wrap things up is Ayur, Ayurvedic yoga. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Can you, I've never heard of this before. I've heard of Ayurvedic medicine, uh, but not Ayurvedic yoga. So so what is this exactly?
1: Yeah, so the, you know, some like fundamentals of Ayurvedic medicine have to do with, you know. All Every human being has a unique constitution that is made up of the different elements. So we have all of the elements in us, you know, water, fire, air, ether, and earth. I think I got them all. Hopefully I didn't say two (laughs) um, more than once, but we're all, you know, dominant in different configurations of the elements differently. So what can happen is, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll use an example. So I am Vata Pitta. So I have a lot of air and I have a lot of fire in me and like attracts like. So it's easy to get out of balance if we are moving too much if we're if we're having excess air in our activities and in our nutrition and in our you know our activities. Um, and with fire like too much spice can be like over activating in the fire so we can get out of balance. So we bring these qualities of hot and cold, of cooling and warming and slowing down or speeding up into the yoga practice to help bring our constitution back into balance. So different asanas and you know body movements, different breathwork practices have different qualities as well. So some breathwork practices are cooling, some are warming. Um, some asanas are energizing, some are calming. So we use the qualities of the movements and of the breath to help influence um, our constitution to bring us into greater balance.
0: So yeah. Thanks for sharing everything. And before we, I ask the last couple questions, I just want to take a moment to, to acknowledge you, pre for the journey you've been on for enduring those 15 years of depression and then taking a leap of faith down the spiritual path, which has a lot of uncertainty, um, not sticking to the conventional route and staying in your standard comfortable nine to five job the whole way, but having the courage to kind of go out and not have that financial security so you could explore your own spirituality and then bringing that back and trying to integrate it into your actual life by helping others to do the same. So I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you for that today.
1: Thank you. I re- I received that affle- reflection with an open heart. Yeah.
0: Awesome. And
2: if I, I actually do have one last question uh, and, and it's quick. Uh, what is your intuition about what sources and is it is something that you can explain with words?
1: Source is everything. It's, you know, every flower, every blueberry, every computer, it's, it's everywhere. You know, it's all here. It's all happening right here, right now. So, you know, our experience is based on the lens that we see it through. So all heaven is here right now, all hell is here right now, and everything is source. So it's the, the infinite of the, the infinite. And it's every, everywhere we look, if we choose to see it with those eyes.
0: Very, very well said. And if people want to follow you or learn more about your work, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I am on Instagram at Pritam Tara, P-R-I-T-A-M dash T-A-R-A. I have not been very active on this channel in the past uh, at least year, but um, getting ready to reactivate that channel with some new programs that I'm launching in the coming months, which I'm super excited about. And uh, my website is pridhamtara.com. So any on any of those channels, um, it's really easy to find my contact information and reach out and get in touch and love talking with other seekers and you know spiritual people who are on the path and doing the work and are looking for resources.
0: All of uh Preetom's uh, links and socials will be included in today's show notes. So I encourage everyone to go and have a look and check that out. And our last question for you today, Preetom, is if you had one piece of advice to give people who are seeking to heal and grow on their spiritual journey, what would it be?
1: Just show up places, get out of your normal routines of the places that you go and the people that you see and seek out, seek out new things and new experiences and be curious and ask questions. People love to talk. People love to talk about their own experiences. And there are you know, so many of us who are on this path of healing and transformation and are doing incredible work both in ourselves and in our communities. So when we invite when we invite these things into our life, they show up. They show up exactly when we need them. So listen to your intuition and follow the pings and get out of your normal routines and habits and just step into the magic of synchronicity and it's a it's a fun current to be in
0: beautifully said i loved uh, talking with you today thanks again so much for being here thank you Preetam.
1: yeah thank you guys it was great dropping in
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of the chasing presence podcast If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.